the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends, and thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today will be a special session regarding a holiday many Christians seem in a quandary to discuss or even deal with. And yes, I'm talking about Halloween. Now, you may be thinking that Halloween's not in the Bible, Pastor Tom. In fact, you may even rush to Deuteronomy 18 or Ephesians 6 to counter that a holiday like this is linked to the occult and anti Christian practices even go to great lengths to show that our modern-day expressions on Halloween have their origins or roots in the occult. You might even be thinking, what could we possibly gain from a word from the Word on a topic that's not really or specifically in the Bible? Well, friends, today's session is called Halloween is Coming, so what's a Christian to do? In today's session, along with any other sessions or series I've shared on this program, may be accessed at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts, then scroll to a word from the word. Friends, two passages of scripture I believe are relevant to today's topic are Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 and Luke 7, 31 through 35. And I can assure you that I'm not simply cherry picking these texts or wrenching them out of their context. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 8 through 14, the seven verses immediately preceding the verses we're highlighting, says to the body of Christ in Ephesus, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, and Paul now quotes from Isaiah 60, acknowledging its messianic significance, Wake up, sleeper! Rise from the dead, and Messiah will shine on you. And now here's our key verses. Be very careful, then, how you live, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. In our companion passage, before Luke seven thirty-one through 35 Jesus has just bragged about John the Baptist, and we learn that the Pharisees and the so-called experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. Our passage under consideration then continues in verse 31, Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved by all her children. Friends, I can just imagine Jesus thinking, damned if I do, damned if I don't. As a pastor, I've felt like that. At times, I've wanted to blurt out in frustration, damned if I do and damned if I don't. I imagine that many of you might feel this way about Halloween. I also imagine that many of you would just wish that this holiday would go away and leave you alone. I can just hear your elevated heartbeats, see your brows beginning to sweat, and envision the mental gymnastics going on as Halloween is approaching. It's kind of like the Edgar Allan Poe story, A Telltale Heart, where the main character hears the supposed heartbeat of the person he just murdered clamoring out from under the floorboards. That heartbeat just won't go away. Well, friends, honestly, I can sympathize with you if you're if you're mixed feelings here. However, it is the holiday that just won't go away, will it? So then, the ultimate question we almost ask ourselves becomes, so what's a Christian to do? Generally, friends, Christians of all stripes tend to respond to Halloween in three ways. Let's call them door number one, door number two, and door number three. Door number one, Christians, avoid the festivities completely, like the plague. I know Christians whose annual ritual is to turn off all their lights, close all the blinds and curtains, and sit in the dark for a few hours while all the sinners pass them by, thinking no one's at home. Door number two, Christians, take the middle-of-the-road approach. This has probably become the most accepted and most popular practice among evangelical Christians. It has birthed the Harvest Festival, Harvest Celebration, or similar. It has also given rise in recent years to the now-famous trunk-or-treat phenomenon in church parking lots. Door number two, Christians, validate this approach under the rubric of providing a healthy and fun alternative to the pagan practice, or providing a safe haven and supervision for the distribution and consumption of candy, or giving kids an opportunity to dress up in morally acceptable costumes as opposed to their pagan and sometimes occultic counterparts. Then there's door number three Christians who take the position that most families likely don't have a clue as to the pagan or cultural origins and influences of the various practices and that kids are primarily in it for the candy. Just imagine, friends, one day each year you can grab all the free candy you've ever dreamed of and have fun doing it. For these folks, their kids are in it simply for the fun. 
Now, friends, it's not my intent in today's session to overwhelm you with a litany of the pagan, religious, and cultural histories of Halloween, or Samhain, as the Druids called it. If you're interested, just do an internet search. There are also numerous Christian publications from brochures, booklets, to full-size books. I'll share a brief list of helpful resources at the close of today's program. I recommend you put on your discernment cap here and weigh the three approaches I shared. For many, it becomes an evolutionary process, but in the end, we should develop our own convictions and allow others theirs in love. Well, friends, I'd like to share some fun facts so you can wow your friends. Did you know from a marketing standpoint, Halloween is now the second most popular event after Christmas? Americans spend over $4.9 billion on candy and related paraphernalia annually. That averages out to $59 a person. Halloween has also turned into the second or third biggest party night of the year, depending on who's counting, behind New Year's Eve and Super Bowl Sunday. Even Hallmark now makes over 300 Halloween cards. And guess what age group is driving the modern growth of Halloween? 18 to 24-year-olds. It has even been reported in one survey of 8,000 adults that two-thirds pass out candy and 50% say they decorate their yards. Halloween is also known as National Magic Day, which has spawned National Magic Week, celebrated every October 25th through 31st. The average workplace has even embraced Halloween as never before. More than one-third of U.S. businesses offer some sort of workplace Halloween celebration. Well, friends, this motivates us to recall today's session title question, doesn't it? So, what's a Christian to do? Curiously, we find in the book of Revelation in chapter 5 this statement referring to the 24 elders singing a new song. You, Jesus, deserve to take the scroll and open the seals on it because you were slaughtered. You bought people with your blood to be God's own. They are from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You made them a kingdom of priests for our God." Friends, there's a single word encrypted in this passage that captures the essence of the theme of our Judeo-Christian scriptures, our Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. If you were to pick this word, what would it be? You might make several good choices like salvation, regeneration, restoration, even justification. But all these words actually fit nicely under the umbrella of another word, Redemption. The idea of being bought in Revelation 5.9 is a direct reference to this word, redemption. In fact, the original New Testament Greek word here in Revelation 5.9 for bought is our word redemption. This tells us that God's in the redemption business. The theme of redemption drives everything that follows the fall of humanity in Genesis 3. So, friends, the ultimate question we must ask ourselves is this. 
How are we bringing redemption to the people and circumstances around us? Well, let's begin with the R word and where the Ephesian text comes in that I shared in the beginning. Let's recall it. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The word redeem fundamentally means to buy, ransom, rescue from loss, and redeem. The phrase redeeming the time may also be translated and understood to mean making the most of an opportunity. My take here is that in context, it more than likely refers to making the most of an opportunity to redeem persons or circumstances as children of light and how we live in these present evil days and exercise wisdom as chapter 5, 8 through 15 suggest. When scripture speaks of God through Christ redeeming us, it's making reference to God buying us back from the slave market of sin, rescuing us from loss. In other words, loss of original righteousness, loss of our original position or standing with God. In a sense, friends, one way we can imitate God in our lives is to work at buying back or getting back what has been lost or rescuing something from its present destructive condition. We Christ followers should always have our spiritual antenna up, zeroing in on opportunities to redeem a person or situation and bring it closer to God's ideal. This notion of redeeming the time or opportunities, as Paul stated, should be the underlying motive for all that we do. It should be the impetus behind all our actions as Christ followers toward expanding the kingdom of God. Granted, friends, we may not always be able to restore things to their perfect ideal, but we should always be seeking ways to redeem things as close to God's ideal as we can. Now let's consider the C word. Interestingly, there's a pattern the early church followed for some of the holidays we now gleefully celebrate as Christ followers. In December, in the Roman Empire, the pagan festival of Saturnalia was celebrated, yet it was redeemed and replaced by what we now call Christmas. How many people do you know that celebrate Saturnalia? How many people do you know that celebrate some form of Christmas around the globe? The unconquered sun, S-U-N, was replaced by the unconquered sun, S-O-N, of Christmas. In other words, Jesus the Messiah. Next, enter the E-word. Similarly, the pagan spring equinox celebration of the great mother goddess, Estre, goddess of the Saxon people in northern Europe, and symbolizing fertility and new life, was redeemed and replaced by the Christian resurrection season, still referred to by many as Easter. The notion of new life associated with fertility rites was replaced with the truth of new life through the death and resurrection of Messiah Jesus. Well, friends, let's revisit the H word. In like manner and in the spirit of redemption, I propose that we Christ followers might become wiser in this generation that we find ourselves and creatively consider ways to redeem Halloween. In other words, let's buy it back. Let's rescue it from loss. Let's make the most of the opportunity it affords us. After all, friends, what one day every year, like clockwork, do unbelievers Sinners willingly come right to your house. What more could you ask for? 
we can say with absolute certainty that every October 31st, someone will come knocking at our door or ringing our doorbell. This gives us adequate time to pray, prepare, and then act. Well, friends, in today's session, I'd like to share with you a practical activity my wife and I have been doing for years. It has been our customary practice to purchase the small Ziploc snack bags and stuff them with candy and insert either a Halloween pass-it-on card or a gospel tract. There are a variety of creatively written pass-it-on cards and gospel tracts appropriate for adding a soft, non-threatening message along with the candy. You may even insert a church business card with a brief handwritten note or invitation on the back. All I can say is that we get tremendous satisfaction preparing these Halloween packets. We even pray over them. Plus, we keep our home well lit, keep our porch lights lit brightly. I even make a handmade sign and tape it to our front door that says, Trick-or-treaters, welcome here, or a sign that says, Halloween candy here. You see, friends, this is just a small way to redeem this holiday and bring an element of the gospel into a family's life. Who knows, friends, perhaps these people may be numbered among those mentioned in Revelation 5, 6 through 10. You know, people from whom Jesus' blood purchased for God, persons from every tribe and language, and people and nations. Friends, in light of our session topic today, perhaps it's time to actually rethink the Word of God. Perhaps it's time to rethink our present posture and put our spiritual antenna up, intentionally scoping out opportunities as Christ followers to build a bridge to the sinners around us. That door number one Christian seems to want to avoid at all cost. But is this the Jesus way? To me, it seems this posture is contrary to the teachings of Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. Let's take a moment and hear him out. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with any who claim to be fellow believers. Hmm, I wonder, friends, how many of us use this same logic with brothers and sisters in our fellowship circles who are living like this, yet we so quickly and easily stay at arm's length from the sinners around us, don't we? The Luke 7 passage I shared at the beginning of today's session reminds me that it is possible to be in the world and yet not of it. After all, Luke records Jesus telling his disciples that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. By the way, friends, this is a perfect definition of redemption as expressed here in Luke 19.10. And Jesus modeled this by describing himself as a shepherd who would leave the 99 to search for the one who went astray. This is in Matthew 18, 12 through 14. So what about it, friends? Perhaps one way to answer today's session title question, so what's a Christian to do, might be to restate the question this way. 
How might we all redeem Halloween this year or in years to come? Let's add a few more pertinent questions. What creative way might God's Holy Spirit inspire us to come up with if we ask him? How might we make a difference in one or more families' lives this coming Halloween season or future seasons? How might we respond to the sinners that come knocking at our door? Well, let's ponder the thoughts generated by these provocative questions. And while there's still time, let's pray, prepare, and then act. An unknown author gave us this quote, For the Christian, this world is an arena, not an armchair. Friends, either I said that perhaps it's actually time to rethink the Word of God. Perhaps it's time to rehear some scripture portions. And while rereading them, rehearing them, and rethinking them, it might help us to consider just what these verses are really saying. Or how might our lives in the here and now practically leave these verses out? Or how might we apply them in our generation? So, friends, here's some passages to ponder, and this will be like a scriptural feast, some spiritual food for us to ingest and digest. So let's begin with Psalm 107, 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Or, as a more modern translation says, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out, tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. What about 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, which we read earlier? I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world. How about Titus 2, 11 through 14? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. How about Colossians 1, 13 and 14? For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice Paul's use of both rescue and redemption here. Luke chapter 2, 25 through 38. Friends, please read this entire portion. I'm going to share a few segments that focus in on God's redemptive plan for both the Jews and the Gentiles. This is the account of Simeon, who was present when Joseph and Mary brought baby Jesus to Jerusalem, to the temple to be dedicated to God. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, from verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Then in verse 36, we're introduced to Anna, a prophet, 84 years old, who came up to Joseph and Mary. And in verse 38, it's said of her, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, Jesus, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
And lastly, another text we took a snippet from earlier, Revelation 5, 6 through 10, this now being the fuller portion, and it's Apostle John speaking. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He, the lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. This is the posture of worship, by the way. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, and here's the key section, friends, You are worthy, referring to the Lamb, to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased. Did you hear that, friends? Here's our word, purchased, meaning ransomed or redeemed. You purchased. Purchased for God, people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Amen. Well, as promised, I want to share some resources with those of you who would like to explore this topic further. I provide these as food for thought, and don't imply that I personally endorse or support every point of view presented. First, a quick reference fold-out guide called Halloween, What You Need to Know by Ron Rhodes. Second, the book The Facts on Halloween by John Ankerberg, John Weldon, and Dylan Burroughs. Third, the book Halloween, What's a Christian to Do by Steve Russo. And fourth, the book Redeeming Halloween by Kim Weir and Pan McClune. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program which will close with an email where you may write me and share your feedback on today's or any previous program you've listened to, or from a Word from the Words podcast archives. And remember, friends, podcasts of today's session and any previous sessions may be accessed at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts, and then scroll to A Word from the Word. You may also access A Word from the Word on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And friends, A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. So if these programs are blessing and teaching you, please consider financially helping to keep A Word from the Word on the air. Just email me for the details. A special thanks goes out to those of you who have been and are faithfully helping to support these teachings you hear each week on A Word from the Word. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.